So empathy in and by itself actually isn't that valuable. What's more valuable in having empathy is perceptual intelligence. So let me give you an example. You got fired today. So you call your friends up and you say, I can't believe it. My boss fired me. I'm out of work. I'll never get another job. What am I going to do? I think the whole world's going to crash in on me. So what do your friends do to be empathetic? They go, hmm, you know what? That's their loss, your gain. I know you're going to end up on your feet. And they give you all this enabling, lovely information. And that's called empathy. But if you do empathy with perceptual intelligence, Nina, I can imagine how sad you are. You might even have some fear about having lost your job. But I really want to spend some time with you. Who are you and why do you think it happened? And what can we do so that whatever the behaviors were or the outcomes were, we're not going to repeat that and you're going to have a more successful journey. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader. Each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. With a master's degree in leadership and coaching, Dan Silverberg has a storied career as a CEO leader in the Fortune 250, as a business consultant in McKinsey Methodologies and partner at AT Kearney, having launched four startups and as an expert in driving exponential financial growth and performance, Dan Silverberg has now turned his sights on training the next generation of great leaders. Are you ready to discover your true genius, your gifts, and to begin your own journey to emerging as a truly great leader? This is the hero's journey. You are the hero. Tune in as Dan and I are already discussing the plan for today's episode. I'm thinking what I want to do is set a context. Yes. And what I within that context, what I want to talk about is the difference between who are you as a leader and leadership. Those mm-hmm. are two separate games. So I'm not doing leadership. I'm doing who are you as a leader. Right. And so there's a very different approach. So if you want to do leadership training, that's a commodity out there. And there's lots of people for it. How do you become a great leader? Forget leadership. That's not as much of a commodity. And that's a real deep dive. Leadership is about the external. It's about the context in business is how do I get my team, my company, my enterprise aligned to hit outcomes? So how I'm going to do that is my leadership. And that has style and characteristics and things that you're supposed to have. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is who are you as a leader? Are you the author, designer, creator of a life that you really love, that you're passionate about, that you wake up every morning going, 
this this hustle is who I am. This isn't my work. And so the life I'm talking about is how do I lead my family? How do I lead in my community? How do I lead in my spirituality? How do I lead my kids? How do I lead all of the, and by the way, I lead in business. So if we look at business, what people are concentrating on is Simon Sinek and Brené Brown and, you know, all the guru ideas. Okay, that's great. I hate to tell you, that's who they are. That's not who you are. <laughs> okay, and so instead of you, so if I go on LinkedIn, I see everybody quoting all those people. I've already read all that. I know that. What I'm interested in, who are you? And why isn't there a quote from you that's yours, not someone else's? And and that is the transformation that I want to contextualize. Welcome, Dan Silberberg, to Manage Self, Lead Others. This is what we'll be exploring in depth over the next few hours, split into several shorter podcast episodes. So welcome, Dan. It is a true honor and a privilege to spend time with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, as you know, I'm one of your fans and love your <laughs> podcast and what a privilege to be here. <laughs> so we're, so let's start. Go. <laughs> All right. So today we're, we're going to be talking about what I call leader. I'm not going to talk about leadership and how you do leadership, I am going to focus on who are you as a leader. So I want to just frame this out a little bit. Part of leadership is a commodity. There, the market is $60 billion in leadership development. According to the studies, less than 10% of it actually has any positive effect long-term. So 50 million is basically a nice to have that doesn't sustain. And so we're going to talk about, and part of the reason is that leadership, it's hard to teach something where there is no consensus on what it is. There is no one definition of leadership. And if you Google leadership, you'll get over a million ideas. You'll have style, traits, and characteristics. Okay, that's wonderful. So are you a heart-centered leader? Are you a conscious leader? Are you a human leader? Are you a transformational leader? A servant leader. Ad- <laughs> right? Put it's a layered skill. It's a layered skill. And it's not like one, uh, it's a, not a one-stop shop for, for training. You actually have to go through a growth process and always be thinking about leading people. And as we're going to explore, what the self-leadership is that makes you capable of leading others. Is that, isn't that right? Is that? Exactly. Yeah. So leadership, the way it's taught, is an external focus. How do I, as the leader, convince my team, my employees, my enterprise that this is the outcome we want, which basically is financial performance? Mm. So we focus on how do we herd the cats so that everybody gets aligned in the canoe so at the end of the day, our stock price goes up. That is a context for leadership. But because it's externally focused, 
it becomes flavor of the month. So if you look at most enterprises, they have brought in over the years, countless people. It's almost what they call flavor of the month. Well, flavor of the month doesn't create sustainable transformation. So let's think about this in our own lives. If you go to school and you learn a subject that's taught to you, six weeks later, 80% of it is lost. That's, that's right. That's, brain, the, uh, that's the, how the brain works. Yeah. So what's the difference? The difference is that when you see us as human beings, what we remember are our experiences that come with an emotion that create a memory. So traditional leader development doesn't do that. It doesn't look at the limbic brain of emotion. It doesn't look at the fear base of the amygdala part of the brain. It tends to somewhat concentrate on the neocortex of executive functioning. Well, that in and of itself, at the speed of change, means that I as a person have not habituated my own growth. What do I mean? So if you create a habit, you habituate it to the point where it's unconscious. So if you go to the grocery store, have you ever gone from your house to the grocery store and gone, how did I get here? <laughs> you got here because it's so ingrained. You, you already know the car. Everybody knows how it goes, right? So these are the skills and things that we want to bring forward. It's actually the inner journey. It's not the outer outcome. And so and course, there's been this whole uh, range over the history. Like we started with Peter Drucker, Drucker, the grandfather of management consulting, and then we went into theories of management, and now there's theories of behavior. But we're going way beyond that into the internal, what, what you have to be inside in order right. to express uh, the ability to guide a team. Is that it in a nutshell? That's it in a nutshell. There's only one thing, the inner journey. Yeah. So how do we know this? Well, the oracle at Delphi, know thyself, right? Socrates, a life unexamined is a life not worth living, right? Maria Rainier Rilke, who's one of my favorite poets, there's only one journey. It's the inward journey. Right. And so until we can know ourselves, it's really hard to get to know others. So I'll give you a quick example. One of the skills that everybody's teaching in leadership development now is empathy. Yes, you know? leading with emotional intelligence. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so empathy in and by itself actually isn't that valuable. What's more valuable in having empathy is perceptual intelligence. So let me give you an example. You got fired today. So you call your friends up and you say, I can't believe it. My boss fired me. I'm out of work. I'll never get another job. What am I going to do? I think the whole world's going to crash in on me. So what do your friends do to be empathetic? They go, hmm, you know what? That's their loss, your gain. You're good. I know you're going to end up on your feet. And they give you all this enabling, lovely information. And that's called empathy. But if you do empathy with perceptual intelligence, Nina, I can imagine how sad you are. You might even have some fear about having lost your job. 
but I really want to spend some time with you. Who are you and why do you think it happened? And what can we do so that whatever the behaviors were or the outcomes were, we're not going to repeat that and you're going to have a more successful journey. One is well, look, at the, look at the difference between those two reactions. Right? Yeah. 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 So now everybody can go, oh, you know what? I've been fired. I lost a, a spouse. Um, I had a, a project that I wanted to get and it went to somebody else. And everybody is trying to soothe me. But that's only half the game. So this inward journey is what happened? What do you feel? Forget what I'm saying to you about, oh, you're the, you know, they're the unlucky one and this, that, and the other. How do you feel about that having happened to you? Now you get to express your emotion. And to actually, to by asking that question, it is asking you to go inward and go, well, exactly how do I feel about that? And And to put a name to it. And so the idea of empathy from Carl Rogers is to what extent can I meet you where you are, put myself in your shoes unconditionally without judgment so that I get a sense of what it really is to be in your place? How many executives take the time to do that? Oh, I'm really sorry that happened, Nina, but we need to move on now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, we've got a board of director meeting in 10 minutes or, you know, things along this line. And so when we're looking at these, these different issues, if we don't, I can't be more empathetic to you than I am to myself. I can't be more self-aware of you than I am to myself. I can't be more vulnerable in your shoes than I can with myself. So if I haven't done my work, then I'm probably pretty shallow and at the surface. Yeah. And also, if you ask a person to go deep into their own emotional journey with an external event, they may not be willing to look either. <laughs> you know, well, you, it might be a dead end when you ask that question. <laughs> it might be, but I think more often than not, people are like, no one's ever asked me that question. So and I'm curious. They, then they have to search for the answer. And at least half the time people would come up with an answer that they didn't know they had because often we don't know what we think until we articulate it. Right, right. Mm. So let's sort of back up a little bit and start at the beginning. So here is my thesis and, and the work that I'm doing. When we come into the world, we are sentient beings. So we are born, right? We go home, we're wrapped and swaddled. If we're not fed, if we're not changed, if we're not kept warm, we probably don't exist, right? And so what happens in those first six months is everything is feeling an energy. We don't really see a lot, and we certainly have no analytic mind. So if I'm crying, does mom know that I need a diaper change, but she gave me a bottle that didn't work, or vice versa, right? If I'm cooing, is mom or primary caregiver cooing back at me or am I just left on my own? And so I develop now this sense around me of survival, of safety, of I'm happy, I'm not happy, 
I'm getting attached to mom in primary care. I'm not getting attached. So all of these things are happening in the first six months, minus any kind of intellectual filter, right? So as we grow and we do this, we get downloaded. And so where I want to start is the process of transformation is identifying our default paradigm in what I call the leader operating system. Yes, correct. Yeah. So the default paradigm (laughs) is mom, early family, early school, cultural norm, and institutional norm. All right. All of that from zero to seven is a complete download. So if there are viruses there, if there's negativity there, if belief systems are there that may not be universally true, all of that is put into me. Yeah. So, you know, we can take a look at some examples. So one of one of the things that we find with boys, because I do a lot of work with men's work, that by the age of four or five, boys know, don't complain, don't be emotional, don't cry, put your big boy pants on, right? Suck it up, all of those kinds of things that actually bleed out emotion, intimacy, creativity, and lots of things. With little girls, it's likewise, we have culture norms. And so when you talk to a lot of women, the things that I keep hearing over and over and over again, I I tend to do everything for everybody. I don't really have any time for me to take care of me. I'm invisible and I don't have a voice. Now that's, you know, but so what happens when, when we do that is boys end up disaffected, disconnected, and their biggest issue is most boys today don't have friends. Most men today, if you said, do you have six to 10 friends that you can go deep with, they would go, absolutely not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, But we ask when, a woman, she's got a, at, at least a bevy of, of, of four or five close girlfriends that she can either see one-on-one or, or, or as a group. Yeah. Right, because women are taught to be social and men are taught to be individual and out here by themselves, right? So this is now work of this default paradigm. So here's an example. So it's, you're six years old. Mom, it's Friday night. Mom says, Nina, I'm going to feed you now. I want you to go to your room before dad comes home. And I don't want you to come out till tomorrow morning. Can you do that? So when dad comes home, he stopped at the pub, had a few too many. He's a pretty mean drunk. He's very loud. When he comes home, there's fighting and anger and maybe a lot of noise going on. And so what happens for that little six-year-old is that the childhood strategy of survival is absolute genius. However, in adulthood, being invisible not having a voice, thinking the world isn't safe is not a grand strategy for designing a life that you really would love, right? Because effectively, mom said shelter in place. Right. 
<laughs> so there's all kinds of these stories that happen. Um, I was I, I talked with one person, and one of the questions I always ask is, who is mom's favorite and who is dad's favorite in the family? Now, if you're an only child, maybe you're both. But if they're siblings, invariably, the siblings know who is mom's favorite and who is dad's. When you ask the parents what they'll say, my favorite depended on how they were acting at a particular time. That's really not the case. So if you know who mom's favorite is and dad's favorite. So there's a little girl and she said, dad's my favorite. Well, say more about that. How did that work? Well, every Saturday, I, I used to be in the study with my dad for about two or three hours. Now, this is sounding really good. What did you talk about? But oh, we never talked. I just sat there. Okay, so now what we think is normal for all of us as children, when you say, tell me about your childhood, everybody, I had a normal childhood. Well, the reason we all had a normal childhood, it's the only one we had. And so for us, it was normal. But if you really dig underneath, dad had ir irresponsible anger. Dad was emotionally unavailable. Dad and mom fought all the time. Mom took the boy as the emotional surrogate of intimacy when he had no ability to, to do that. That's called a mother wound. The father is really the one responsible for driving identity and self-esteem for girls. But if dad's not around, if dad's emotionally unavailable, if dad has this anger management irresponsible problem, then those things don't get developed the way they should. And so all of us come to the game with our frailties, our insecurities, imposter syndromes, whatever these things are that were basically downloaded. But what would happen if we could go from a default paradigm to a new paradigm? And the paradigm now starts with your own values, your own beliefs, your own assumptions, your own strategies of how to be in the world. And now delivering outcomes, which is really the life that you want to have. So that's what I'm up to. And of course, see, the, it's these childhood wounds that are driving us, but we don't know that. There's another that Well, actually, there's a passenger, but you're the passenger. There's another driver of your own bus. And right. it's invisible because unless you become uh, self-aware, it can be invisible. And so you're not aware that you're reacting against these threats to your safety or your um, self-esteem. Yeah. Right. So let's take another example. Let's talk about a, ba a boss who micromanages. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from an adult. That comes from a child wounded who felt out of control and who needed to put in place controls to feel safe. So if you live in a home and mom is telling the girl, look, the only way you're going to survive in this world is to be really smart and really pretty. I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think it's going to amount to much. I know that sounds crazy, but it happens over and over and over. Or a dad to a boy will say, you're never going to amount to anything. I, you have no skill. You, you're, you're not disciplined. You're this, that, and the other. And the father is taking out its own wounding on 
on the child. And right? I've heard men complain about that too. And sort of, and there are two reactions. One is look at, watch me, I'll show you. But then there's the other that goes, oh, maybe dad's right. You know, that's um, very, you know, very poor for, for a child to have had that experience. Right. So if dad's criticizing me all the time mm. and, I, and I know I'm not really capable, but now I'm in a job where they think I'm capable, all of a sudden, if I don't criticize everybody, I'm doing the same thing I was taught. Right. And so this is where these paradigms shift. So the first thing we start with is a problem with a desire for change. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 33-year-old woman works in a company, and she believes that as long as her work is superior, she can go all the way to the top. But that's not how life works. Well, so no, just her, because you're good at your job doesn't mean you will get noticed. Right. So in her review, the CEO says, Nina, your work is excellent. You have really good ideation and you're very good on detail and follow through. What I notice in the meetings, though, is on a peer level, you don't really communicate well with the upper people that you're with. You don't seem to have a voice and put out much. And I think if you're going to progress, we actually need to hear from you. We need to know that you can communicate up and down. So that would be something that you would say, okay, I'd like to do the internal work now to understand from my default, where did that happen? And then where am I going to go now? So the first part of this process is to start with a problem. And there's loads of them. There can be a CEO who gets promoted and he says, you know, I know I'm competent, but I don't like confrontation. And what I find and what my team is telling me on my review is that I'm indecisive. I'm not willing to take a stand and they're finding me therefore not to be trustworthy. So that's a problem. We can go to a default and we can create a new paradigm. So there's a lot, you know, there's no one problem. It's where are you in life and what things would you like to solve? And most people know right off the top what it is. It's not, I've got to think about it for eight weeks. And, and then also seeing the patterns in their own behavior. So that requires a meta view of your own behavior. And so if you've got the gift of a of a uh, authentic CEO giving you good feedback, well, that's that's lucky and that's excellent. But not everybody is lucky <laughs> to have good feedback. Well, it's not about it. See, that's not about luck. It's about doing the work to be self-aware enough that, again, on the on the person being fired, the reason I could talk to you about perceptual intelligence, I've been fired. I know what it means. I know what the feeling is. But what was most valuable was when people said, "What? Who were you at the scene of the crime?" Mm. Yeah. And mm. now I have to get more inward. Now I have to get truthful. Now I have to avoid blame, right? Defensiveness, being opaque, right? Changing the subject, all the things that my egoic mind would want to do so that I look good. That's not helpful. And so as we go through this, 
we really understand backgrounds and patterns. And once we bring those sort of unconscious patterns, but you can articulate them, once we bring them forward, now we can put them aside and create new ones. And so that's, that's what really... you call doing the work, because doing the work is is going inward to look at your own patterns and then doing the work to improve them. Exactly. So mm -hmm. tell me three of your earliest experiences. So when you do that, guess what? You're not going to tell me, oh, I learned to ride a bike when I was four and it was the coolest. You're going to tell me about the things that were the most harmful because those are the ones with the oh. deepest emotion that really create. That's the one that's going to tell me about I was constantly hounded by my parents about not being good enough. That's the one. So when we get to those, now we can separate out dad's voice from your voice and you can choose something different. So there's a process that we go through there. And so we'll set a transformational goal or a vision to move from this, I don't speak up and I don't seem to show up in meetings to I'm important my thoughts matter and I'm going to articulate what I believe about my business. So that shift now will automatically change your value. I'm now gonna value myself as being an important part of this team. I'm gonna value the fact that what I say is meaningful, has gravitas, is important, right? I'm going to start to see the strategies of, and we, we put in place things for you to do during the weeks so that you'll take risk, but you'll start to see successes. And this is how we habituate, right? These behave, these new behaviors. So you're now talking about a, uh, a, a training experience that you do offer people that, that might be listening right now. Is that, and so right. part of what you're talking about now is, is the process that people will go through if they participate in this program, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's sounding and really so, good. Mm. So we start with a problem. We create a new outcome of what a new paradigm would look like. We search to find the underlying paradigm. So we've been talking about, you know, how mom and dad and, and school um, have influenced us. Mm. The question then is, as we as we bring it forward and we can verbalize it, can we own it? Sometimes we can identify it, but we're not willing to own it yet. And so there's a process there of creating the space and safety in an un, in a non-judgmental, unconditional, loving way where your egoic mind will sit over here and not criticize you. So if you've got that inner critic going all the time, we're going to put him or her to the side. Yeah. And, and uh, when you say own it, well, how, what constitutes owning it? What's, what's the behavior of owning it? Well, I could come in and say, you know, my boss told me this, that I don't do this, I don't do that, and I don't do this. Own the you feedback. Know? I'm not sure that that's really accurate. So I might defend. Oh, I might say, well, yes. I think I do participate. I think I do do this. Okay, fair enough. 
So let's see if we could put that to the side a minute. Let's see if we could honor what's going on over here. Tell some stories to me. And the stories will come out, you know, they, the truth comes out, right? But you know what? It's, it's, if the people don't want to be successful and they don't want to change, there's nothing to do. There's yeah. other than to say, I think this may not be the best process for you. And maybe you would be better off in another environment. Maybe you'd be better off doing nothing. I just want to support you. So if you'd like a different coach, I could recommend one. If you'd like a therapist, I could probably recommend one. If you don't want to do anything, I would be okay with that also and, and you know, wish you well on your way. So part of the process is to question your paradigm. Because what happens is in this, we're actually creating a model so what beliefs you have, I'm not good enough, I won't amount to anything, my voice doesn't matter. We we start mapping this paradigm. And, yeah, I, and- I've done some professional uh, personal development workshops over the years where they try uh, asked you to f- identify your foundational beliefs, like going right back to birth. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a very interesting process to, to make some self-discoveries around that. And then I can take aversive action. I don't have to actually live according to that uh, limiting self-belief, I think they call it. That's right. That's exactly what they are. Mm. So then after we've questioned our paradigm and decided we can own it, then what we're going to do is we're going to experiment and we're going to try new behaviors. Mm. So one of the things, Nina, I have a problem with is I can't ask for things. I don't believe that the world wants me to be successful. I don't think people will help me. And so if that's one of the issues, then you'll have an assignment for asking for things. So Nina, starting tomorrow, 20 times a day, ask for something. So Dan, could you sharpen a pencil for me? Dan, I'm running late on a project. Would you be able to give me an hour? Dan, I didn't get lunch today. Would you mind calling Uber Eats and get me a sandwich? Right. It's little things. It's not, you know, big, crazy things that people can. Oh, my God. You know, and what happens is 90 percent of the time people will go, of course. Now you start to habituate. People do want to help me. Mm -hmm. They will say yes to me. It's not scary to ask for things. So depending on what the Mm -hmm. issues are, it may be just journaling. So it might be for the lady who goes you know, I never speak up. We might do role playing and saying, all right, let's imagine because your brain can imagine the same as reality. Let's imagine you're in the meeting and they're talking about what subject matter would come up in a meeting for you. Now we're going to ask you, what do you have to say about that subject? And all of a sudden the person starts talking and then you can't get them to be quiet. Okay. (laughs) And then and then we would say, for example, do you have a mentor in the company? Do you have your direct report? I'm assuming because we're working together, they would be aware of this. Can you try it out with them? That's a little more risky. Then now you're going to go to the meeting. You're not all of a sudden going to show up a Superman or woman, but you're going to start to put toe in the water, start to contribute. People are going to go, oh, my God, that was really awesome. That's going to give you more. And and so we grow as we go. 
and this forming of new habit then, this is what creates this bigger life. This is what's spacious and expansive. It gets more heart-centered than up here because our, our limited beliefs in our ego is always going up here. But within our heart, we really know what our deepest desires and yearnings are, right? So This is this sounding is the- lovely, Dan, because people want to, uh, they want soul at work. They want to bring their soul to work. Yeah. So for me, my program's called Leader, and it's the inner side of genius. So I believe in each person, you're here for genius work. And I'm pretty good at figuring out for most people what their genius is and reflecting it back and and having them take a look, but it's really up to them. And it's not something that we teach in school is this introspective, how do I have this big life that I want? Life of an adventure, Mm. you know, life of passion, life of loving what I'm doing, you know, uh, and again, leading is not in business only. Leadership is far more about who are you as a leader in your business, with your team, with your spouse, with your kids, with your extended family, in your community, maybe in a spiritual realm if you have one, right? So now what happens is instead of life coming at you and you in reactive response, you now intentionally start to build this life and design this life that you really want. And we move from scarcity and fear to trust and abundance. That sounds beautiful because so many people will put, uh, you know, external reasons around why they have to stay stuck in the rut that they feel they're in. They've got to pay the mortgage or they've got to get pay the school fees or whatever it is and it's often serving other people not serving yourself surely there's a way to do both (laughs) all right well so i think that's um that's sort of the the first idea that i think matters part one part one (laughs) We'll, we'll take a short break and um we'll resume okay thank you so much dan thank you In order to have a show, we have a sponsor. And my sponsor is past podcast guest Dan Silberberg. Go to episode 84 with Dan Silberberg on the Leader Operating System and episode 91 on the Leader's Inward Journey. If you are already where you want to be as a leader, fantastic. If not, I have great news for you. You can grow your leader self to its full potential Before you can talk about what makes the individual a leader, you have to answer the question, who am I? And you don't need to go it alone. Dan is ready for you. If you're ready to gain deep insight into who you are as a leader and who you can become, you just need to show up. Will you take the risk? Will you answer the call? Will you return from the journey as a great leader? It is not for the faint of heart. It requires courage, rigor, commitment, and dedication. Will you invest in yourself? Will you answer the call? Message Dan Silverberg via LinkedIn for a calendar link to schedule a free conversation. Mention my name, Nina Sunday, to unlock the listener discount. 
Your journey to becoming a leader begins with a free Dan Silverberg conversation. Links are in the show notes. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.